This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash ferment. Hello and welcome to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your host through this journey of all things fermented. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org and all places you find podcasts these days in the world of pandemia. Um, Episode 250. 250. That's amazing. It's kind of crazy. Halfway to 500. Very yep. excited about it. This is a, all of these these days are pre-records. We're not doing these live. To, we're doing it from our house. Um, so, and we're actually doing the intro after we do, we did the interview last night. So it is June 3rd right now, <laughs> but this is going to air on June 4th. Um, are you fermenting anything, Mary? I am. So I have the what chili, p- the fermented chili paste, which I think I men- mentioned on the last episode. I also started the asparagus kimchi from the Shockey's book, Fermented Vegetables. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then I think I mentioned that I got um, some water kefir grains from Cheryl Passwater. And uh, those are now started. And I'm about to make some Thai basil fermented paste. I'm really excited about all this. Uh, Plus, I'm picking up... Uh, our CSA. So we signed up for a local CSA from upstate New York. I'm about to pick that up in probably the next 30 minutes. And it looks super exciting. So it's obviously I'll be cooking most of it. But there are definitely some items in there that um, are potential for fermenting. I'm so excited about all of it. We are. Uh, let's go into this show. We're talking about all we're talking about bread today. Yep. Uh, you know, we're a little bit late, about three months into pandemic, our pandemic world. Uh, and there may or may not be flour shortages still we're kind of rolling out of that. Um, and our guest uh, is a good friend and, uh, and a home home baker and, and fermenter all over and fermenter all over. Yeah. June 2nd. 2020. Who do we have on today's episode? Oh, oh my goodness. Let me tell you who we have on today's episode. Episode 250, saving the best for halfway to 500, Joe Kirkhoff. <laughs> Hi, Joe. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> uh, Joe, Thank uh, you. Joe, Joe's very special to us for a great many reasons. I've been a great friend for a long time. He's a giant beer enthusiast, um, and uh, he's often who we call when, when uh, we were talking about uh, bread problems. Uh, and I don't mean of the money kind. Um, and so that's what we'll talk a little bit about today. But I want to talk a little more about Joe before we get into that. Um, because you're a fascinating dude and you are a recent father. You're, you're handling a toddler in, in, uh, in, the, in these pa- days of pandemia. Um, but we know each other through fermentation. And so take us a little bit from when you started fermenting anything. Um, I get. I mean... Technically, the first fermented things I probably made were bread. Um, my dad, when he was, I think, like 19, worked in a bakery and uh, taught me how to bake bread. I don't know. I mean, I think I first helped him when I was somewhere between like five and eight years old. Um, and so I've been doing, you know, at least some bread baking now for three plus decades. Um, almost all of the bread I, I have commercial bread yeast at the moment um, I have you know the end of an ancient two pound pack or whatever in the fridge 
um, and uh, still just enjoy doing sourdough much more, um, even for things that really don't need it. Um, I guess we'll probably talk more about bagels later. Um, and I have I've been playing with those and have yet to even try doing uh, dry yeast and bagels just because, I don't know, it, it feels like may as well challenge myself a little bit while I'm stuck at home <laughs> and can be paying attention. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think the first time I did any kind of sourdough baking was probably 10 or 15 years ago and been much more into it for the last seven or eight years been making beer for uh, I think about 11 years now um, mm -hmm. you know the I mean one of the things I know you all talk about and uh, many of your listeners probably know too like there are all sorts of things that we do that are fermented that you don't think about when you think what did I ferment so I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of things that I've made for years that uh, mm -hmm. technically are fermented but as a regular active fermenter um, probably seven or eight years since I've been frequently doing more than, uh, than just beer. More than just beer. Uh, but you're, I love, I love your beer brewing. Um, and, and so you, but you're also a great wine enthusiast and in particular you love natural wines. Yeah. Is this um, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. I just wanted to bring that out because I, I enjoyed our group wine for beardos, like kind of like a little study group for, you know, to wine from the eyes of a beer enthusiast. And uh, I do want to pick that up at some point if we, if we can. Um, but I, I guess the reason it fascinates me, the, the tying in of it all together, your love for natural wines, you know, when we're, when we're creating sourdoughs, we're talking about natural uh, yeast in the air and, and, and bacteria to kind of culturing things to the, to where we want them to be, to ferment what we want to ferment. And, and, uh, I like how it ties in cause you're, you're an equal opportunist, uh, fermentation lover, I think. Yeah. I think most of the products that I like that are fermented, I like because of the complexity you get from a natural or wild spontaneous or, uh, you know, heterogeneous fermentation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, with beer, frankly, I'm just lazy. I'm not someone who in almost any case has honed in using three commercial products and, you know, figuring out the right schedule at which to add a strain of Britannomyces or a mixed culture of Britannomyces to secondary. Um, I'm... I think lazy isn't maybe the right word, but I don't have the time to dedicate to those kind of experiments. And I guess when I am experimenting with things, I like to be, you know, semi-scientific and not just like, here are my two options, we'll see which one works out this time and assume that that's the right way to go in the future. And so kind of embracing the, you know, the spontaneity of a spontaneous fermentation and seeing what happens and then learning from that over time better matches the amount of effort that I want to put into things. Um, and, you know, most of the time it goes really well. I love it. Uh, then I guess from, with that in mind, uh, I've been doing uh, the pineapple method of, of uh, sourdough starters. What is your sourdough starter method? 
so I've, for bread purposes, I've only ever made one. Um, I've been using it now for those seven or eight years. And um, I, I don't know, honestly, if I got lucky or if it's just that uh, they're not that hard to do. Um, I think it did take me a couple weeks before it was really a useful starter. Um, but it was the, uh, you know, the, I, I, I don't use volume for baking, uh, pretty much ever. Um, but it is roughly equal volumes of flour and water, so it's about a two-to-one ratio by weight of, uh, flour to water. The, in this pandemic time, I've actually split the starter. I have the original one living in my fridge. That one has always only been white wheat, um... So, I think that's soft winter wheat, if I remember correctly, but uh, the Trader Joe's or King Arthur, uh, white wheat, uh, it's whole grain, but a lot lighter. And then the the one that's on the counter has gone through a few different flowers, but it's mostly just all whole wheat, um, spring red wheat or whatever it is, um, but a few different brands and such. And... Um, it's it's evolved nicely, but it's the only starter that I've ever had. Um, I've also, when I've made Angera a few times, uh, I think it took me a while to realize, like, wait a second, I can just throw in some of my existing sourdough starter, and I actually did, like, the completely spontaneous starter of just, you know, pure teff flour and water. Um, uh, that's on our list. Works well. We've bought teff flour yeah, lately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It works great, but like throw in a scoop of your sourdough starter unless you want to be like near religious about it being wheat free. Uh, I think, I am not sure of this, I think that the Tef is gluten free, so if someone has celiac, like that's an issue. But uh, aside from that kind of outlier case, uh, I don't see a reason not to put in at least a little bit of wheat flour. Uh, injera is spectacularly difficult to cook properly um, you're like halfway cooking it and halfway drying it out and uh, you have to really balance that like you need a pan with really even heat uh, lots of blogs and other things I've read online that are written by people who regularly cook Ethiopian food like they're Ethiopian or they live in a community with Ethiopian people or whatever recommend using electric griddles for even heat so especially if you're cooking on a gas stove uh, it can be really tricky to make sure that the whole crepe is cooked evenly even if you're making really small crepes um, so having a little bit of wheat flour can make the the actual cooking process a lot more familiar and I think from my experience as long as you keep the teff above say 50 60 percent you're going to still get a strong teff flavor. Uh, it's going to taste a lot more like teff flour than anything that I've ever had in, I, th I would venture to say, any Ethiopian restaurant. Is the uh, prepping method for, for a solid batch, it's like a three-day turnaround, is that true? Or is that only if, you're, if you don't have a starter, or if you're not doing it? Uh, yeah. I've, you're speaking up. I've been able to start it, say, early afternoon, maybe morning, before I cook it, and be cooking it 30 hours later with a starter. I'd say the first two days are probably getting the fermentation going. Um, so it needs to ferment, but the fermentation doesn't take all that long once it's active. 
Gotcha. Cool. What color does it end up being? I've read, I mean, so we, Mary and I haven't tried it yet. Sorry. And we did some reading on it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say it gets an uncomfortable color, uh, dark, uh, dark blackish on the fermentation side. You can get some of that. It's, I mean, it's like any starter where you get that, uh, I think people just call it liquor, right? The, the separated kind of like dull gray. Uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't look like anything alive. It's definitely the discard of the discard. Um, right. But uh, you get a little of that liquid on the top, but it's not. Uh, you know, it's not an otherwise disturbing ferment. It, I mean, there's nothing about it that tells you you really don't want to get near this. Make sure you separate this part from what you're eating, um, and you're cooking it. So. In every sense, it's a, it's a pretty tame one. Um, you know, if you're using a lot of Teff flour, the the end product is kind of gray-brown. Uh, it's darker than than most uh, commercial or restaurant injera. Um, gotcha, yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to, uh, you know, that discard of the discard and discard and <laughs> uh, itself... Uh, and you have one starter that you've ever made, and you think you're lucky. It was fifty. You have this starter for fifteen years. You, no, no, like seven or eight or stuff. Seven or eight. No, I made it, but still, yeah, seven still or eight. It's time. less than nine. I know okay, that. I've been but, I've been in this house now for nine years in this apartment, um, and I started it here. Uh, but I started awesome. it not too long after I moved in here, so I, I, I would call it about eight years old. Yeah, so like the first couple weeks of having it, probably do need to keep it on the counter, feed it regularly. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I'm not a kombucha expert or anything, an expert in anything with scobies, but it really is a bit of a scoby, right? It is that symbiotic culture of yeast and bacteria, um, and you don't reach symbiosis until you've given it some time. It takes quite a few feedings to kind of establish a rhythm for that environment that you made in your starter. Um, and uh, and so at first, um, you know, and I don't remember specifically what I did, but from speaking to other people and my own experience at times when I've never killed my starter, but I have neglected it horribly and had to kind of pick it up from the last scraps of it. Um, at times, the, the uh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> this is, no uh, this is definitely a sign that we're recording this late at night, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> after a homebrew meeting, a Zoom homebrew meeting, is it? I, I had, yeah. which I we had fully no support, beer during so that meeting, <laughs> um, but, uh, that's true, um, I'm actually, actually pretty much out of beer. I just kind of got lazy about ordering grain. But, but you mentioned having a toddler in the house. And uh, anyone who wants to brew a lot, 
when you have a toddler. Just make sure you have your own grain mill and that toddler will be asking you on a regular basis to please crush some grain. Uh, our son <laughs> loves the sound and to mill to mill and mash like he doesn't care after it's mashed but milling and mashing are the highlight of his week any anytime we brew um <laughs> i love it love it that that being said uh <laughs> the starter yes. the first few <laughs> weeks it can be a little fickle you're trying to establish that symbiosis and uh you know there are things you can do to help guide it you mentioned the pineapple juice method um, I've had friends do apples and grapes, uh, fruit are good because they have yeast and lactobacillus and other things already on them. Um, they also provide simple sugar, so it can just be a little bit more active. Um, and you know, you can find probably as many tips as there are individual starters in the country right now for, uh, for how to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's a great strategy. I, for no reason that I can justify, like the simplicity of just saying everything I've ever put into my starter is one kind of grain and water, and I just want to, like, see how I can go with that. Um, and so I've kept it at that, and keeping it on the counter for the first few weeks uh, allows everything to kind of reach that balance that it needs. From there, gradually feed it less and less frequently, and once you feel like, you know, you can feed it, let it sit for five days, and even though it's, you know, it's not going to be the least bit active after the first, depending on your starter itself, it's not going to be active after anywhere between, you know, four hours and a day and a half. Uh, everyone's experience is really different, but after that period, it's still going to be alive, even if inactive. And then seeing what happens with it over you know, the next feeding, if it's kind of the same thing time and again, then you can probably get away with chilling it in the fridge. Uh, if you're nervous about it and feel like, you know, this is a great starter I made, I don't want to mess with it, just split it in two or split it in three and treat each of them differently. Um, but... Uh, they're probably going to behave pretty similarly. I did a few tests recently now that I have. I'm baking every two or three days at least, and uh, I, I still have my old refrigerated starter, as I mentioned, and so I took a scoop of that and a scoop of the fresh starter on the counter, which are, at that point, were 15 or 20 generations removed, um, and I think six to eight weeks removed as well, and so that's plenty of time for whatever is naturally occurring outside of the fridge to start to change, you know, the balance of which yeast and bacteria are in the counter starter. And uh, they did smell a little different. Um, got uh, from the one that was on the counter a relatively strong, like, uh, uh, acetaldehyde, like green apple smell. Um, but uh, you don't get that in the baked goods at all, and um, they otherwise behaved in exactly the same way. Over the course of like 36 hours, uh, they were in two ball jars right next to one another. They rose and fell at exactly the same levels. Like, if I hadn't labeled them, there was no telling apart which was which. Um, peaked at exactly the same time, collapsed in the same way, like all of that. Um, and so I think 
you know, between that and then the fact that if you have a starter that's cold in the fridge, you, you have to use it some, but the time it takes for it to not just go dormant, but then go so dormant that mold can take over, and then for that mold to get from the top of your starter down to the bottom, to the point that it actually ruins your starter, is months and months and months. Uh, in most cases, I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, some nasty mold could be awful. Um, but I've had so, cases where I think I've left it for like two and a half months, thrown off, thrown away almost everything on top and saved like the bottom center scoop that was most isolated from anything outside of the, uh, the starter itself. And it's picked up right away. I'll leave it warm for like a half day and then throw it back in the fridge. Awesome. That's greatly relieving for somebody. Well, like that's me. what you did when we came into when into this pandemic. You got that sourdough. It's true, and, but I was nervous about it for sure. But it worked out fine. But I, I was still like, I've been kind of biting my nails at, with it since, being like, uh, is this the right thing? Should I just start over? Should I just like start over? But it's nice to hear that you you have had one for nine years and just revive it like that. And when you did this experiment, six to eight weeks, it was six to eight weeks old before doing the experiment. And had you touched it at all in the six to eight weeks, the one in the refrigerator? No, right? No. Or maybe. No. I was, no. I, so, white wheat flour has been next to impossible to find. Uh, I waited right. a month early in the pandemic. I ordered from King Arthur, and I think they've only gotten busier since. Uh, and I still waited a month for 10 pounds of uh, white wheat flour. Um, so I'm still being kind of stingy with how I use it, but, uh, like I said, I can't justify why that's even the flour that I chose for my starter. It probably would be healthier to do a mix of white flour for more sugar, more readily available sugar, and, uh, you know, a heartier whole grain for more nutrient-heavy stuff. Um, but, like I said, I'm more into kind of the semi-lazy and semi-just curious approach of like how do I get this going see where it goes and then obviously you can always take the starter that you have and split it and add a different grain and if you do you know a teaspoon of starter give or take and 100-150 grams of flour and water each I mean already you're down to a tiny percentage of your original grain Right. And if you repeat that a couple times, you know, if every time you do 1% of your original grain, you repeat that three times, you're down to like a one in a million parts of the original. Um, so, you know, if I ever really want to transform it to something else, uh, you can do that. I could do yep. that. We're, I'm saying uh, we're going to take a really quick break uh, and be right back with Joe Kirkhoff on Fumet About It. This episode is brought to you by Square. I'm Mary Izette, co-host of Femen About It. For restaurant, bar, and taproom owners, it's not business as usual right now. As people stay at home, we're all trying to find new ways of staying connected to our customers. At Fifth Hammer Brewing, we had to convert our taproom to a to-go room and move from serving pints to selling four packs and crawlers to go. If you're a business owner, Square wants to let you know it has tools that can help you shift your business. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery. 
Square Online Store is free and very quick to set up. I was able to set up our online store within 24 hours of moving to a to-go model. With an online ordering page, you can easily update your menu with descriptions, ingredients, pricing, and more. Really whatever you want, it's fully customizable. You can offer curbside pickup and no contact local delivery. It's also very easy to train your staff on. They will be able to receive, fulfill, and provide your customers with a contactless pickup in no time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash ferment. Hey, welcome back to Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're sitting with our good friend, well, we're virtually sitting with our good friend, <laughs> Joe Kirkhoff, um, uh, talking about bread and sourdough. We just talked about uh, sourdough starters, and uh, Mary was just about to, to uh, ask a question before I, I cut her off. Sorry for that. I want to ask um, if you've been making any fun bread variations, or if you're like more of a straight-up bread kind of guy. Recently, I've mostly been kind of straight up um, with sourdough boules and been playing around with bagels. Um, made some focaccia last week and have done a few other random projects, uh, but nothing terribly exciting. Did you do the focaccia with the sourdough starter? Yeah. You did sourdough focaccia? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, really straightforward. It's like two to three percent olive oil, so it's all all all-purpose flour. Um, actually, the recipe that I had was recommended by another home brewer, um, who uh, basically the Brooklyn Bruisers, the homebrew group we mentioned earlier, um, which uh, I've been involved in now for probably about as long as I've been doing sourdough bread. Um, mm-hmm. We've been talking. In the group of us that regularly meet, we've been talking about bread a lot recently, uh, like in, recently as in the last couple of years. And a couple of people had started getting into it. Other people really wanted to, and so well before we even realized that everyone in the world was getting into sourdough in March, we thought, okay, well, this is a good time. Like we can't share our beer with one another, so we can still talk a little about it. But let's share other knowledge that's kind of, you know, related for all of us. Um, so one of the other brewers, uh, Daniel Bragg, has been making sourdough bread now, I think, for six months or a year or so. He recommended this recipe, uh, and it called for a little bit of bread flour, which I think was a mistake. I think it makes the, the focaccia a little too chewy. Um, a lot of people, and I'm not an expert on flour types, but a lot of people recommend not using bread flour for most breads, um, keeping it for bagels, pizza, things that really should have a lot of chew to them. Um, and so adding some extra gluten to the focaccia, to me, made it a little too chewy. Otherwise, it's like 80% all-purpose flour or whatever white flour you want. Um, and, or sorry, a, 100% all-purpose flour, 80% hydration, roughly 2% salt, 2 or 3% olive oil, and it's pretty quick ferment. You do a few turns, and then you put it in a big, wide pan, stretch it a little bit to help get it flat. Right before you bake it, you stick your fingers in it wherever you want to give it some dimples, pour some oil on it, <laughs> add some salt, 
throw on some herbs, throw on some, uh, some vegetables or, you know, olives or whatever if you want. Pinch the really big holes because those are just air bubbles. They're not a sign of a good fermentation or they, you know, you're, they're from folding the dough and not getting everything really smooth and stuck together. Um, and, uh, and then bake it at like 450 for about a half hour. Um, it's a nice bread also and you need an active starter, but from active starter to being able to eat your bread is like six or eight hours. Oh man. Yep. So you impress me all the time with, uh, your, your cool, calm, collected and like relaxed. Don't worry, man. It's gonna, but you, you think, you think about things in simple terms. You never stress out about it. Me, on the other hand, making bread, I freak out all, I'm, it's like constantly like paying attention to it, to it and, but the most successful bread I had recently was after listening to you be like, relax, don't worry. I was worried about timing and turns, um, and I have, I struggle with my bread rising, and and uh, I just uh, want to thank you for some of that, although I did brew, make a, a boule just after that first time. I tried a different recipe, and uh, I watched the bruisers had sent out uh that that video or um that one woman's instagram uh do you remember who i'm talking about who am i thinking of she works at tartine i think i wish i could i wish i could put that out anyway uh and so i tried to basically follow what she did on instagram i'm gonna find it in a second um but, but i i had myself up jennifer uh, latham or latham yes yes yeah, and she's. I haven't she, watched she it. I have it open in a tab still. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was great, and it was good, and, and so I kind of followed like what she did, the same percentages and stuff, and then she was kind of relaxed about adding some water, so I ended up added, adding a little bit of water for the texture that I thought that I would need, uh, and just I ended up with two very great large, slightly thick crackers. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> with, with, they were freaking delicious because the sourdough starter was great. I think the percentages were all good, but I think somewhere in there I went awry, either by adding too much water. You or, said you were like on a conference call or something, or you were on figuring out a beer recipe and you lost track of time. Isn't that what you did? No, I don't know. Maybe I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> sure you mean for one of the lat- latter times? I don't know, yeah. but yeah, maybe I don't know. I gotta examine it all again, but uh, I'm just. I, I want I want to be Joe Kirkhoff and bread making, um, and I guess maybe. Well, I think the, would... the key thing is to stress about everything else as much as you can, so that bread is the thing you're relaxed about. That that's really right. seeming to work really well for me. Um, okay, I, I don't know if I believe that's true. For you, I, I yeah, there aren't a lot of people that would describe me as a super chill and relaxed, but uh, <laughs> yeah, with, with with bread. I think more than just about anything else, I've always felt like you're going to get something delicious. Like you said, you get these weird crackers that are, you know, freakishly dense sometimes. I mean, so like we tried making same day you you all were making uh, pizza. We happened to be doing it, um, and we didn't even find out till we were all like literally shaping at the same time. Jesse saw you all on Instagram, but. Uh, you know, we made pizza, and I've read the recommendation ages ago uh, in the Tartine cookbook to just use basic country loaf dough, which is not at all what I've ever seen in trying to look up pizza dough. People say to do a crust that has some olive oil, and you have to get double O flour, and you must do all these other things, and, you know, 
process by hand like crazy until you get window pane and you can't do sourdough because you're going to have too much acidity to get the right gluten development. And I thought, you know, why not just give this a try? Um, and it worked beautifully. It took a ridiculous amount of flour to not get the dough to stick while I was trying to actually shape it. Um, but it was fine. I mean, the flour either fell off or incorporated into the crust just fine. And otherwise, it made some of the loveliest pizza crusts that I've that I've ever made. Um, and I'm not, like, a huge pizza expert, but I've made it quite a bit. Years ago, my brother built a cob oven in my parents' yard, so it became, like, a thing that every time I went to my parents' house, I insisted on, you know, lighting a wood fire and making pizza at a thousand degrees. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, how can you not want to do that? But, uh, yeah, just... Straight up, 75% hydration, 80% all-purpose, 20% whole wheat. Yep, like, that's, a that's a really great pizza crust. Um, and so we, we made that. And then afterward, the stone was still hot, and we had a little bit of the dough left. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, this is too old to proof it properly. I don't want to save it and make more pizza another day because we don't have the right balance of toppings. So I just literally took the slab of unproofed dough and threw it down on the stone. It was like, and then I think went and like had a Zoom call with family and kept an eye on it. It made the weirdest bread that I've ever seen. It had like those huge bubbles that Nan has. Most of the bottom bubbled off of the stone and wasn't even like it was a dome of bread with just the outside touching the stone. That was nearly burnt. The inside was giant bubble, except where it was just solid dough. Like, there was no crumb to speak of. It was just like a pencil eraser. And yet it was still delicious. Like, you really can't go that wrong. Um, and so that level of, like, confidence in knowing that even if I'm not going to be proud of a loaf of bread, that I'll be happy eating it, gives me a lot of confidence to do what I recommended on that discussion that we all had in the Bruiser's call a couple months ago, where I was saying, like, you know, if I want to start a loaf of bread and I have a starter that's good to go, instead of doing, you know, proper folds and all of that, I might just mix everything up and, like, mix everything up, like, skip the, uh, like, autolysis that really does help the dough develop, you know, where you just mix the flour and the water and then let it rest for a couple hours like that definitely is a beneficial step but you can mix your starter your salt not your starter and your salt first but you can mix all your water all your flour your starter and your salt leave it to sit for 12 hours do a couple folds for the next hour and shape a loaf of bread and it's going to be really good it's not going to be as impressive as if you do like figure out the right timing and the right number of steps and the right temperature for your starter um but it's still going to make really tasty bread. So let's talk about bagels. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about bagels. They're round. They have holes in them. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Sourdough bagels. So take us through that. Um, so, yeah, I started actually at the beginning of the pandemic. I had no sense that I should stock up on flour and uh, my son's been wanting to bake a lot, so we, we went overboard getting 
like 50 pound bags and stuff so that uh i mean yeah that was plural um just so that everything we've white and whole wheat you know it's all purpose and uh some nice whole wheat too um but uh i want to make sure that you know we might have to tell him no to almost everything outside the house but when he asks like can we make bread can we make this like yes we can um so tried making like whole wheat bagels and doing some other frankly crazy strategies I found a lot of suggestions. I didn't think any of them were good ideas. And some of them came out pretty much matching, like, the pictures that I'd see online. Um, anyone who's ever, like, flown over New York City knows that those are not legitimate bagels. Um, you can get better in L.A. So, or so I've heard. Um, but uh, the the key thing is... It is a time when you want to either add some extra gluten or use bread flour um, and to use a really, really healthy starter because you're basically like, so the argument that this is something I learned in the last couple months, like the argument against using bread flour for most breads is that it has so much gluten potential in it, so much protein that it holds itself together really well but being so strong it actually pulls in on itself very well also and so you don't get the same rise and oven spring that you would with a flour that has a little bit less gluten um, but of course in order to get the chewiness of a bagel you want strength and chewy gluten in that bread um, so you have to basically balance the strength of your gluten with the strength of a starter that is really optimal. Um, so usually I'm taking the the starter that I have, uh, you know, if it's a, in the fridge or on the counter, doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, we didn't really talk about what a starter is, and you know, like, so your starter is your culture. Anyone who brews beer would probably I use the analogy for people that are longtime brewers and not into baking, that your starter is your yeast brink. It isn't your starter in the beer sense. It's not the yeast that you're ready to use. Not necessarily. I mean, it might be if you're keeping it really healthy. Um, but if you're not really feeding it on a super regular basis, it's a healthy culture of yeast, but it's not ready to go to ferment bread. So you have to add a little scoop of that starter to most people do 100% hydration starter, meaning equal weights of flour and water. Uh, grow that up a bit. And for bagels, I've, in particular, I mean, for other bread, it's helpful too. But for bagels, I found it essential to step that up a second time um, so that I have a starter that has been fed multiple times and is really peaking in terms of its uh, fermentation capability. Um, from there, it's uh, it's a pretty straightforward, somewhat lower hydration uh, bread. I think I've been doing about 62% total hydration, um, mm -hmm. which also I didn't define, but uh, we should probably... I, one of you want to say a word on baker's percentages, or, or I can? We didn't. I've used those quite a bit, but we haven't said what they mean. Yeah, no, let's talk about it. Uh, so 60%, 60 hydration, if we had a you know, 1,000 uh, 
grams of water would be flour. Uh, sorry, f flour would be sixty grams of water. A uh, thousand grams of thousand grams of flour, and sorry, we have grams. sixty. Sorry, I was thinking mil sorry, I meant milliliters, but but yeah, sixty. Well, grams. Same thing with water. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. that's what I meant. A thousand total grams. At <laughs> sixty percent, thousand grams. But it's but not by by weight. The baker's percentages are a ratio, so they're not a thousand total grams. It's uh, and that's the that's the weird thing is that it's called a percentage, but it really is a ratio of you take your total weight of flour. Um, sorry, I should have just said this instead of like posing it as a quiz question when you weren't ready for it. Um, but if you have a thousand grams of flour and a so the the uh, the bagels are sixty two percent hydration. Uh, but say they were 60%. Um, 60% of that thousand is 600. Right. So for a 60% hydration dough, which is a really dense bread dough, uh, you would have 1,000 grams of flour and 600 grams of water. So you'd have 1,600 total grams, but you refer to that 1,600 as 100% flour and 60% water. Uh, right. And if you had, oh. you know, if it were a rye dough, you could say that it was 20% rye and 80% all-purpose flour, at which point it's 200 grams of rye, 800 grams of all-purpose, and why you'd be making a 60% hydration rye loaf like that, I don't know, but 600 grams of, of water. Um, so anyway, bagels are a very dense dough for bread. Um, been keeping it at like 62% uh, hydration and uh, adding a little bit of, uh, of malt. Um, as a brewer, I have for making yeast starters some very, very old caked up dry malt extract, and so I've just been using that. But like any kind of malt powder will do. Um, some people use honey or brown sugar. I did try skipping it once just to get kind of a sense of what it did. and. I'm doing one and a half percent of the weight of the flour of malt. Um, I don't know what that would translate to in if I were using a different sugar, but it's, it's a very tiny percent. Um, it's, depending on the, the exact variant of the recipe, it's less than or equal to the amount of salt that I'm adding by weight. Uh, but it still adds, I don't think it has almost any noticeable effect on the fermentation. Uh, if you add a good bit of sugar to a bread, you'll, you know, speed up the fermentation and also soften the dough. Um, that's definitely not the effect, but leaving out the malt really has a strong impact on the final flavor of the bagel, so that part is critical. Um, then, yeah, mix up the dough and uh, try to do a pretty quick bulk fermentation. The the actual fermentation of the dough so that the yeast is still really active by the time you're letting it rise. Uh, and some people will shape bagels in advance. Uh, you, you make, either way, you end up making a ball of dough, like you're making a bun, and then uh, poking a hole in the center of that and stretching that hole out a little bit. Uh, I had assumed that it, before I ever made one, that it was effectively a breadstick that got wrapped back up on itself, and I, I didn't find anyone recommending that approach. Some people will 
make the ball, poke the hole, stretch the bagel out, and then let it proof in its final shape. Um, and I assumed that was the better way to go, but after quite a few tests, I've had much better luck proofing as a, a bun and then poking the hole and creating, you know, poking a hole with a finger um, and stretching that hole out to about an inch in diameter immediately before boiling the bagel, which let it boil for a minute or two. Um, some people recommend adding things to the water. Uh, I've found that I prefer not doing that. Um, I don't have a strong case against it. Sorry? Lye, I didn't add any lye. Some people do, yeah. Some people add lye. Uh, we tried adding, and I have lye, but I was cooking with a toddler and didn't feel like pulling it out and dealing with, with that. Um, I have asked him to make soap with me in the near future, and his mom is freaked out about that. Um, so uh, I figured it wasn't a good idea to push that with bagels. Um, but, uh, it, he's going to help mill the soap. We're not going to, you know, it's not baby's first chemical burn. Um, but, uh, yeah, lye would be, you know, a more aggressive version of an alkaline. We used baking soda one time, uh, going kind of the other direction. I mean, not to acidity, but in a a different character for the dough. I've also tried adding a little bit of uh, malt extract to the boiling water. I didn't like either of those. The um, the baking soda made it made the bagels a little too much like a pretzel, um, which I love pretzels, but they're not bagels. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I if you want a hybrid, it's probably a really good idea to add a little bit of lye. I kind of like keeping them as their own things. Um, even if you want a salt bagel, like there's a reason you call that a salt bagel and not a pretzel. Um, and adding the the malt to the water just made everything a little sticky and goopy on the outside, and I'm, I'm really unclear why anyone would ever want to do that. Um, and maybe I didn't do it quite right, but I added very little, and it still had a large effect. So I've been using just neutral New York tap water. Um, doing a long boil, which is pretty typical of a New York bagel, apparently. Um, and in all honesty, not every bagel has even floated the way that they would if I were using dry yeast or really honing this in perfectly. Um, but I've been getting a little better and better results with every batch. Um, and even the ones that didn't float still ended up having a really nice texture inside. They had pretty decent oven spring. Um, and definitely a really nice crust. Um, bake at, uh, I think I've kind of come down to liking about 435, 440. I've tried them on both a baking stone, like a well preheated baking stone, and on a baking sheet, and I've uh, definitely preferred baking sheet with uh, silicone or you know, parchment papers, just disposable silicone. Um, so recommend that, uh, anything else, the, like the, the baking stone gives you too defined of a bottom crust, as opposed to that really even bagel crust, that, uh, where it's pretty consistent all the way around. Um, some recipes say to flip bagels, I haven't even tried that, it seems silly to me. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, it's been getting better and better. So, um, how long is long boil? Uh, one or two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't seem very long to me at all. <laughs> it's not, but I mean, so, some, some it's recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. No, some <laughs> recommendations are to, uh, to boil for like 20 or 30 seconds. Um, and so four bagels, a one or two minute boil is fairly long. Um, it gives a, it gives you a very defined crust. Um, you know, really adds to the chewiness of the crust. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of balancing with, you know, the more you define the crust before you go into the oven, the more you're inhibiting any kind of oven spring, uh, where the steam in the, in the dough pushes the, uh, the bagel out even further. So that's, uh, that's kind of the balance. Um, we've been a little slow getting them into the water and I usually boil in batches of three. And so of those three, one of them boils substantially longer than one and another is of course in the middle. Um, so I don't, I couldn't tell you which ones have boiled for one minute versus two, to be honest, but, um, I have tried a really quick boil and haven't been too happy with like the 20 or 30 second boil. Love it. Love it. So we're running out of time, but quick. (laughs) Right now, um, I'm always a big fan of pancakes. Um, yeah. Like, I, I think I mentioned earlier that I'm not a big fan of uh, of using volume for any kind of measurements in baking, and the same thing goes with pancakes and anything else. It's even similar to baking. So convert your favorite recipe to uh, to use weights, and then just figure out how much weight of water and how much weight of flour you you want to get rid of in your recipe and replace that with starter. Uh, you don't have to be super careful with how you stir the uh, the starter into the pancakes. You're not trying to like preserve specific bubbles. Um, go ahead and still do things to add extra acidity to your dough. Like you're not going to get anything that's wildly sour. Um, I've once or twice tried actually you know fermenting the pancake batter. I don't think it did that much for it. Like, um, when you have that much sourdough discard, you fermentations get weird anyway because you're starting at a much lower <laughs> pH. Gluten isn't going to develop in the normal way, which is probably good with uh, with pancakes. But like, I recently made a loaf of bread that was like half of the flour and water in it was discard, and it was an okay loaf of bread. I, I knew it was going to be a weird loaf. I was just kind of playing around and also wanting to make something different for once. Um, but, you know, you, like, the the protein is still there, but you just don't get the, like, stretchy gluten development. So, um, I think, be aware of that if you're baking with a lot of discard, uh, but for any other project, um, you can kind of ignore the fact that it's ostensibly sour, and largely even ignore the fact that it's yeasty. Like, you're just kind of going for flavor and to a lesser extent texture um years ago mary you turned me on to the uh sourdough crackers that uh you can find them in a bunch of places but i think it is originally a king arthur recipe online that's really great um one of the things i've done with that is if i want to make extra crackers you can stretch that recipe where only about half the flour and water in it is uh, pre-fermented, is actual discard. If you stretch it further than that, then you do run into problems where it, the 
just doesn't behave the way because it's not as fermented as it should be. Um, and, uh, yeah, made sourdough donuts that I uh, kind of rushed recently, but I think those like, the flavor was really good. Made uh, donut breakfast sandwiches for my wife for Mother's Day. Um, I was just looking up sourdough was, donut recipes this morning. Yeah, I don't have a recommendation for how to make them, but I was really happy with the the parts of it that I didn't rush. The parts of it that I like <laughs> that I was aiming for went really well. So I think that'd be a great angle to to pursue further. Um, but pancakes have just long been my go-to, um, or recently pancakes and waffles uh, using the same relatively thick batter because the sourdough pancakes. Uh, I've had much better luck with whole wheat pancakes than white flour pancakes, weirdly. They, they actually get fluffier and have a better, more appropriate pancake texture when using sourdough. Um, and they they puff up a little better when the batter is a little on the thick side, um, so that it doesn't tend to get runny and spread out across the pan or the griddle, which also makes the, the batter the right texture to make waffles. So I'll make exactly the same batter for pancakes and waffles and at that point cooking both at the same time just speeds up the cooking process it's uh it's not really an extra burden but actually kind of helpful um so combination of those oh man it was great here <laughs> absolutely you. you all too uh yeah man uh so if we want to meet you in person we could have probably you know, one one day when the when the broodies and when Brooklyn Bruisers start meeting again, we could probably find you there. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, both Humber groups are are meeting online. Um, anyone out there wants to talk bread, beer, and other fermentation? Um, look us up, Brooklyn Bruisers oh. or uh, or Broodies. B r e w d i e s. Not the people promoting. Uh, design work on bottles and cans but Brudy's has a facebook page and not a website while brooklyn bruisers yes. has a website Bruce, yes bruisers have a website that looks so old we probably don't <laughs> exist but we do um and uh and it's bruisers as in bruise e-r-s b-r-e-w but yeah b-r-e-w-s-e-r-s um yeah, I'm all right for on. a moratorium on the word brew not being <laughs> being excluded from anything related to beer henceforth. Sure. But these these organizations were named before I was around and uh, you know <laughs> they're grandfathered in. Fair enough. Fair enough. Joe, thank you so much, man. We love you dearly. And uh, thanks for being our two hundred fiftieth episode, man. Yeah, it was good Sorry. to be we haven't had a long talk. We've had some short talks over the years, but uh, good to do a longer one of these and good to be on and uh, well, I, hopefully I'm not making anyone have to edit anything out, but one of these days we'll have to either, you know, have some bagels together or I'll at least like leave a bag yeah. on the stoop. You can come by let's and pick have some a so up. Let's, let's share some socially distanced bagels. I'm down for that. I think, <laughs> yeah. Just bagels and beer. We'll, we'll drop them six feet away from each other and do the, do the trade. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> we love you, man. Thank you. You've been listening to All right. Joe Kirkhoff from the Brooklyn Bruisers and uh, uh, the Broodies, and that's Mary as it. Hi, Mary. <laughs> Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Uh, <laughs> the man about it.
This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.